Dating. This topic is so relevant to all of you all. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting. Um, a few years ago, I read an article. I can't remember. It might have been USA Today. Um, the title of which was Dating is Dead. And it was an article bemoaning the fact that dating is really not a popular campus pastime anymore. College students today don't date, this article was talking about. And um, the article was written by a guy named Arthur Levine, and he'd done a big study, and then there was an article. And he, he was basically saying in this article that when they asked students why dating really wasn't nearly as popular as it used to be, the basic answer that they got over and over again was, well, we just have never seen any example of a really successful adult romantic relationship. So we're not sure that that's something we want to be a part of. Now, I remember reading that article, and I thought it was really interesting, because about the time this article came out, uh, within the Christian community, there was a movement, which I don't even know if it's going on much anymore, uh, a movement that was called the courtship movement. Do people still talk about courtship? And there were all these books, like I I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Josh Harris's book, and then there were some other books, um, one that I'm going to make mention of a little later called Choosing God's Best. Um, But there were all these Christians um, who were saying that we really shouldn't date. Um, Dating leads to all kinds of problems, and, you know, therefore we should just court because courting um, avoids all the problems and all the, the dilemmas and all the pain and the disappointment that dating brings. So it was very interesting because... At the same time, like this article, you know, sort of out in the general culture wondering why people don't date and basically concluding, you know, that they're kind of afraid because they haven't seen any other um, kind of relationships. The Christian community had basically bought into a movement that was driven by fear, just like the culture. People weren't dating in the church and they weren't dating outside the church and they were all driven by fear. And I thought, how tragic is it? that the Christian church has failed to be a countercultural influence in this regard. Because if there's one thing that Christians should not be driven by, it's fear. It's fear. Uh, Derek Kidner, great Old Testament scholar, said one time that the fear of God is the fear that puts all other fears in their place. Christians should be those who know the fear of God. In other words, they've reverenced God in all things. He's connected to all things. And therefore, all other fears are put in their place. Jesus put it this way. He said, don't fear those who can kill your body. Rather, fear him who can kill your body and your soul in hell. (laughs) And you're like, whoa, that's a weird passage. No, but the point is, understanding who God is reverencing him, realizing he's the one that matters, should have implications for the way you fear or don't fear other people, even people that claim or are very powerful and influential people in your lives. So, is dating dead? And if so, why? Here's what I think is going on. I think the reason that, that we don't date, and this is the reason I didn't date until I was in my early 30s, was really, um, we, we're sort of in this tension We long for intimacy. At the same time, we're just so terrified of pain, disappointment. We're trying to sort of figure out a way that we can sort of have pseudo-intimacy. At the same time, we can have safety and a pain-free life. We live for sort of controlling our lives and trying to eliminate all the risk. And it's no wonder because, y'all, you were the generation that really was raised 
to understand and to believe that safety was the highest thing that you should live for. In other words, like when I was little, we didn't wear seatbelts, right? Um, you know, it's, in, it's interesting. David Brooks, in his book, Bobo's in Paradise, he's a columnist for the New York Times, talks about how whatever you think about the Victorians and how hung up they were on sex and prudish or whatever you think about them, um, the, the oppressiveness of their sort of, you know, very rigid standards about sexuality um, he says that, that, that our culture's understanding of safety is even more oppressive. Uh, the idea that, that um, you, know, you know, it's like, I, you can just tell even with my little kids. Like, if, if you bring up the idea of smoking a cigarette to them, it'd be like you've killed somebody, right? They've learned the message well, that the most important thing is for you to be safe. The problem is, God doesn't say that. And so if you try to bring that message and that goal of life, everything should be sort of sacrificed upon the altar of staying safe. It makes it very difficult to live life the way God has called us to live. And it really does a number on pursuing relationships with people of the opposite sex. Because it's very difficult to do that while staying safe. Now, I know, guys, we know we try to do this. This is why girls that guys like to ask, ask you out on dates for lunch, Let's do lunch so that if you say no, we can try and play it off and pretend that we really didn't. Well, it was really no big deal anyway, right? We, we don't, you know, to, to actually like say, I want to ask you out on a date. I want to take you out. I want to get to know you better. Like that kind of intentionality is really scary because there's no, there's no doubt that you're actually interested in and you actually would like to be with this person. It's hard to do, isn't it? Well, what's the biblical view of dating? What are we going to say about this? Here's, here's the, the, the first point that's important tonight. There is no biblical view of dating. There is no biblical view of dating. Dating isn't in the Bible. Does that mean we shouldn't do it? Does that mean we can't do it? Well, there's a lot of people that would say that. It's not in the Bible. Therefore, we shouldn't date. That's a ridiculous way to, uh, to read the Bible. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's beyond ridiculous. It's actually a sinful, wrong way to read the Bible. Because what you end up doing, if, if the Bible doesn't say you can do this, and you say, therefore, you can't, what you end up doing is making things sin that the Bible doesn't call sin. And that's a very serious thing. Because to do that, you presume to speak of God's behalf and say, this thing that he hasn't spoken about in the Bible, you can't do it. And if you do it, you're not a good Christian. That's a very serious thing. It may seem like not a big deal, but it actually really messes with people's consciences. And it begins to teach them about the basic character of God, that he's not one who really loves when we enjoy the creation and enjoy life the way he's called us to live. It, It gives this idea that basically God is a cosmic killjoy. And the only things that we can do are the things that he's told us we can do. But the Bible never claims that. All right? So dating is not biblical, but that does not mean that it's, not for, that it's forbidden. And it's so interesting to me, like this courtship model. Do you know what courtship is? Courtship is basically different than dating in two regards. Uh, the first is it's intentionality. Courtship is before you even go out the first time, you've made it clear to the girl that you want to pursue her to marriage. That you're not just in this just to get to know somebody. So it's different than dating in that it's intentional. But it's also different than dating in that you involve the parents. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Your parents may actually have some wisdom for you uh, on that that you could really glean and and benefit from. But the Bible doesn't say that that's the only way that you can pursue relationships with people of the opposite sex. It doesn't. 
And so, you know, all these books are coming out saying, well, dating is bad because dating's not in the Bible. We should do courtship. To which I would say, well, why don't we just have arranged marriages? At least you can find biblical support for that, right? The, po the point is, Christian freedom is a very precious thing. And I know that we don't hear many sermons about it. Paul goes so far in the book of Galatians to say, it is for freedom that you've been set free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he, earlier in the, in the book of Galatians, I think it's in chapter 2 or near the end of chapter 1, he talks about how there were some, some brothers who came in to spy out our freedom in Christ. And he says that he had to oppose them for the sake of the gospel. Freedom is a big deal. Therefore, it's really important that we don't let people tell us that this is bad if the Bible doesn't say it's bad. And, and, and people can come up with all kinds of sophisticated arguments and, and sort of you know, persuasive arguments. Well, you know, dating just leads to this and this and this bad thing and this bad thing. But the point is, if the Bible doesn't say it's sin, it's not sin. And that actually matters a lot. Because once you go down that road... Once you go down that road, it's very difficult to extract your conscience from the, 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 the tar pit that you're in. John Calvin actually talked about this in his Christian Institutes. He has a wonderful chapter in there on Christian freedom. And he talks about how once you begin to, to sort of kind of go down this road, it's like you may think, well, you know, I guess I don't really need fine clothes. I guess I could make do with, you know, old used clothes. And eventually you might begin to think, well, why do I even need clothes? I could do with burlap sack and just cut some holes in it. And, and the problem, he says, you can keep going down and, and the harsher and harsher you treat your body or the more and more pleasures you deny yourself, you may think that you're becoming more and more spiritual, but you've forgotten really a very important thing, that it's a doctrine of demons, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, to teach that things that God created to be received with thanksgiving, to teach that those are bad things. And he specifically mentions sex, marriage, and, mon and uh, food. To, to think that you should deny yourself those things, you'll be more spiritual if you don't date. You'll be more spiritual if you aren't interested in people of the opposite sex. No. That, that, that really runs contrary to the whole idea of the, of, of, of the physical creation that God has made that's a good thing, right? And a lot of Christians get hung up on this. Well, I'm getting hung up on this, at least in the beginning, aren't I? So let me, let me, let me press on. Of course, selfishness is sin. Of course, lust and using people just to satisfy your own lust is sin. Sure. And can dating be an avenue for those things to happen? Sure. But let's make sure that we understand sin is the problem not dating. What's the purpose of dating? Does the Bible give us any, any uh, advice here or any, any, any wisdom here? And, and it does. It actually, at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, now all has been heard and this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Uh, back in the 17th century, there were some, some wise guys that got together, um, put together a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechisms. They basically were trying to say, what is the summary of what the Bible teaches about life? And, and they came up with sort of a version of that Ecclesiastes passage. What is the chief end of man? Or what is the purpose of man? What's the point of your life? And the answer they pulled together from different passages in the Bible, but that, certainly that one in Ecclesiastes, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, not all modern Christians believe that or remember that that's the purpose of man. A lot of them think that it's just to do what God says, and they leave out the whole enjoying him. But God created us to enjoy him 
and to enjoy his creation, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what you were made for. What that means is, if you want to think about what's the point of dating, that's the point of dating. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why is this important? This is important because if you think the only point to dating, the only purpose of dating, is to find somebody to marry, what you end up having to say is that unless this dating relationship ends in marriage, it's a failure. And that's a horrible thing to have to say. There have been a lot of relationships that you all have probably been in that were hard and good, and the Lord met you and taught you things through that. And you don't have to look at that and say, well, that was bad because we didn't get married. No, you, do not, you don't have to try and put that kind of spin on it if you understand that the purpose of man and the purpose of dating is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And even more specifically, because dating is in the realm of human relationships, and if you want to look at what the Bible says, for instance, God says to Abraham, look, I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing. This is what God's people are always to be about. They've been blessed so that they can be a blessing. So if you want to think even more specifically about the purpose of dating, how do you glorify God and enjoy him forever in the context of dating? Dating is about being blessed and being a blessing. And that should guide you in what you think about and the way you are in, the, in those kind of relationships. Uh, there's a, a book. I don't agree with everything in this book. I think it's actually one of the more thoughtful books about dating called Dating with Integrity. It's not so popular anymore. Um, it was popular maybe in the 80s, I guess. Um, but, but it's one of the few books on dating from a Christian perspective that actually deals with biblical principles like this. And I think that he gets this right because he says the purpose of dating is to be blessed and to be a blessing, right? That it's important for you, for instance, to get um, a perspective uh, on life that's not just your gender, <laughs> There are lots of reasons you can talk about that, okay? So I think what happens, you see, is if you think that the point of dating is to get married, it puts such pressure on it, right? And you get caught in this weird catch-22. Uh, I don't really want to date anybody unless I would marry them. But I don't really know her well enough to know if I would want to marry her, right? Do you see? You're like, you're just, what do you do? Well, you chill out and realize... <laughs> That you can be a blessing to somebody, and you should be a blessing, even if you go out a few times and realize that maybe, you know, maybe we're not going to be together, right? If you think, my point is to be a blessing, I want to be a blessing to you. If I spend time with somebody, I should want to be a blessing to them and seek to be blessed by them, okay? So, you know, this helps. Like, dating does not have to be this huge, hairy deal like that. But I also want to say... You know, the purpose of dating is not to replace marriage either. <laughs> you know, there, there are some who, you know, I like the idea of the pseudo-commitment of dating because I can still get out of it if I find things are a little too difficult. Marriage, no, dating was never to be a substitute for marriage, but it also is not just about getting married. It doesn't have to be, okay? Now, it, it certainly can be, and I, I think often that that comes out of it or it's involved in that, right? I'm not denying that, but I'm saying that you don't need to put that kind of pressure on dating. What is a date? It's basically setting a time together that you're going to do something with somebody, right? So you should do that. You should do that with each other. You should make appointments, say, We're, let's, let's do something together. Couldn't hurt? Well, it could. You, it may. Here's, <laughs> here's how it could hurt. It could hurt if you, if you basically aren't seeking to be a blessing, you're basically just 
seeking to use people to, to sort of not deal with your own loneliness. And, uh, you know, there, there's a sense in which you can be so casual that you don't really understand or you don't care the way you are getting people's hopes up, right? So you can take it too seriously, but then you can also take it too casually. And I, and I think if you think about being a blessing and being blessed, it will help you think about what's really helpful for this person. Um, there may be some people that you know, and you've gotten to know them well enough to know that if I ask this person out, that really is going to get their, their hopes up in a way that I'm not really sure I should be doing that at this stage, right? You've got to be wise, and you have to be thinking about other people. But I think really the main, um, the main obstacle to dating, like I said, is fear. So let's look at how we deal with fear, all right? Um, here, here, now, these are vast oversimplifications, but I think there's some truth to this. Men generally deal with their fear by abdicating responsibility. And this, of course, is what drives the ladies crazy. And this is what drives my wife crazy <laughs> when I abdicate responsibility and I act like I'm helpless because I'm afraid that I'm not going to do things just perfect and I would rather just not even try. Um, men avoid, or men, when they're afraid, often abdicate responsibility and retreat into areas where they feel competent. And they want to just basically focus on things that they know that they can do and do well so that they feel good about themselves. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, there's no gospel in the middle of that. You, you're, you should not be looking to things that you do well to get your sense of satisfaction, justification, and purpose. You should be looking to God. And God may actually call you to step into places that are really scary because you don't know what you're doing. If you're not open to that, I don't see how you could possibly ever move towards any kind of relationships. Because relationships are inherently unpredictable, uncontrolled, and scary. And I'm preaching to myself because this is, this is what I needed to realize. You know? And I finally had to realize that, you know what? God is big enough for what if. If I want to ask out Wendy, um, and I thought about it for a long time, believe me. What if she says yes? That's pretty frightening. <laughs> There's implications to that. I don't know if I'm ready to face them. What if she says no? That's frightening as well. I don't know which I'm more afraid of. But finally, I was able to, to hear God say, if, as it were, Kevin, I'm big enough for what if. You're, you're going to sit here and try and figure out, you know, what if she says yes, what if she says no, and try and figure out how you're going to respond then. Forget it. Just dive in. I'm big enough. And that's so much what we need to do. Guys, you cannot think that you're going to be able to always retreat into places where you feel safe and secure. Not just for dating. This is about the Christian life. See, dating is just a microcosm. The way we approach this, the way this fear affects us is just a microcosm of the way it affects us in so many other areas of life. Right? So men tend to uh, deal with their fear by abdicating responsibility. They need the gospel to learn how to risk. To know that God has pledged to be with them. Like we just sang from Isaiah 43. Do not fear. I am the Lord your God. I will be with you. I don't promise that you won't ever have waves. I don't promise that you won't ever have flames. But I promise that I will be with you in the midst of that. I think it's pretty interesting to think about how... Um, you know, the timing on when that was written and about the three men, Daniel's friends, that were cast into the furnace. And it says that there was one, a fourth, like a son of man, among them in the furnace, in the flames. These words that God had written to his people to comfort them in the midst of exile, right? 
I don't know. You've never been thrown into a furnace. <laughs> but that's what, the, that's what these words were about. Right? But what is it for you that feels like I'd rather be burned alive? I'd rather be burned alive than to, than to risk this or to risk this kind of pain or disappointment. We need the gospel to learn how to risk. Ladies tend to deal with their fear, I believe, by manipulating relationships. Again, it's about control, but women are much more subtle and actually much more good at it. <laughs> they really are. Um, they, they, they manipulate relationships. Again, it's a control issue. It's a fear issue. And they need the gospel to learn how to trust. How does God deal with our fear? God deals with our fear by his perfect love. Let's look at this passage. First John, it's chapter 4. You may know this passage. You've probably heard parts of this. But let's, let's read the whole little section here. Start actually at verse 13. And then read down through verse 19. The Apostle John writes this. We know that we live in him meaning God, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, John is is wanting us to understand that the ultimate reference point when you think about love has always got to be God. God. Uh, Elsewhere in this letter, he says, you know, this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Right? This is love. That God is love. God is the ultimate reference point if you want to understand what love is like. And here, he's saying that love and fear do not coexist. You see that? So what he's saying is, if you have a life that's characterized by fear, somehow there's been a failure in understanding and appropriating and receiving the love of God. But notice he's writing this to a church. So he's not not saying that if you have fear, you can't be a Christian and you don't know the love of God at all. No, he plainly thinks that these people know the love of God and yet still they have fear. And he's saying, look... These two things shouldn't go together. So what, what's his solution? What's his answer? What are we going to do if we find ourselves with fear in our hearts? Well, he drives us back to understanding what God has done for us. Look back at verse 14. We have seen and testified. This is our bedrock. This is what I know. This is what I depend on. The Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And down in verse 18, you see, he says, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. If if you are finding your life full of fear, you've lost sight of what God has done because fear has to do with punishment. But what God did in sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world is he took the punishment that we deserved. That has to begin to, to, to factor in to the way you think and the way you fear. What John is basically saying is you have to consider and connect 
what Jesus did on the cross to your fear. In other words, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid that God would just leave you hanging without a net? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that you will experience betrayal? Well, sure you will. But betrayal becomes actually a way for you to understand what it meant for Jesus to love. Does does God say that he wants Christians to never have to experience betrayal? No. He says actually that he wants you to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And believe me, betrayal was one of the most bitter things that Jesus suffered. To be betrayed by a kiss. A lot of you in this room have been betrayed by a kiss. I know it. But the question is, you know, when, when you, you, you've experienced that, what will you do? Will you say, well, then I'm never going to put myself in a situation again where I could be betrayed with, by a kiss. I'm going to make sure that I vet this person so thoroughly that I know that they will never let me down. No. How can you ever hope to do that? Do you know, in the, in the Bible, in the book of Hosea, God says to his people that your love for me is like the morning mist. As soon as the sun comes up, it's gone. That's what your love is like, God says. That's what your love for me, the perfect one who's never let you down. That's what your love for me is like. So the question is, do you really think that you can find another sinner in this world who you will be able to be in a relationship with who won't betray you? See, there's no way you can move forward unless your faith is in God. Your faith can never be in this other person. Now, do you want to see that this person is, is, you know, has Christian character and all this? Yes, 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 yes. I'm not saying be you know, naive and stupid and, and make no read on people's character. But I am saying, ultimately, you will get no guarantee from any human being. But you get lots of guarantees from God. And not only do you get guarantees, you get God who has sent his son, who has already taken the punishment you deserve, who has already, Jesus has already, has already taken everything that would make God want to leave you. Everything that God, that would make God want to leave you and forsake you and give up on you, Jesus already became and he already suffered and was punished for it. So that when God looks at you, if you're his child, he can say and promise that he will never leave you or forsake you because he forsook his son on the cross. So when you're feeling afraid and you're feeling like, well, this person may let me down. Yeah, they might. But God never will. God never will. Right? The, the, the key, see, is to connect that truth, the character of God, and the righteous acts of God to your fear. Very specifically, this is what you need to do for each other. I actually think that one of the keys for you as you're moving forward in a relationship, could we be married? One of the questions you should be asking is, does this person have a way of speaking the gospel truth into my fear in a way that I actually believe it? Right? You, you want to do this for each other, not just in dating relationships, but you want to do this for each other. Fear. I think that we all need to learn how to trust God rather than thinking that we can so perfectly audition people. Because this is what we hate about dating. It feels like we're being auditioned, right? 
We'll talk more about this next week. Um, but the, you understand this too. I think one of the other things that's fear, I was talking to some of, the, some of the students last week about dating and what should I talk about. And they said, you know, a lot of, a lot of us have grown up where we've been taught things like, unless, unless you've really got your relationship with God cooking on all, you know, cylinders, like it's really rocking, I've really reached a real high level of spiritual maturity, then I really shouldn't be in a relationship with somebody. It's a really warped kind of kind of view. Let me just say it this way, as plainly as I can: your holiness, your zeal for God, your obedience does not merit you any blessings from God. But Christ has secured all God's blessings on your behalf. That's very important for you to understand. In other words. Dating or, being, or getting asked out on dates is not God's reward because you're so wonderfully holy or so wonderfully satisfied with and content to be single. And there's all kinds of this kind of silliness, like, you know, that you really, you'll never become the right person, you'll never find the right person until you become the right person, right? All these kind of things that seem like wisdom, but behind them is a really oppressive theological error. Martin Luther used to say that bad theology is a cruel taskmaster, and it is. If you think that you have to fix yourself and get yourself, you know, really loving Jesus before you could possibly deserve a relationship, you don't understand justification by faith alone. The gospel says that it's Christ's death and life on your behalf that qualifies you to be blessed. Not you or anything that you're going to do. So, it, you know, should you pursue holiness? Yes, certainly. But you don't pursue it so that you can get these things from God. That kind of sort of, uh, I don't know, commodification of the relationship with God is, is, a, really, is a really gross thing. Um, what's the problem with most Christian books on dating? I'll, I'll do this fast, but... Um, the first is that I've, I've kind of hit on this first one, what, what you might call a kind of super spirituality, and there's two parts to this. The first is this. Um, Christians love to say things like, we should focus on being the right person rather than on looking for the right person. To which I say, well, the Bible actually says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And whenever the Bible says something is good, the implication is you should seek after it. The Bible does not say getting established in your career is a good thing. The Bible does not say making sure that you make enough money that you can afford the house you've always wanted is a good thing. You better do all those things before you think about being in relationships with other people. No, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. The implication is, guys, you should seek for one. Right Now, we are going to talk about singleness. And how do I know, you know, Paul says it's better to be single, not married in 1 Corinthians 7. What do, we, what do you say about that? We're going to talk about that. We're going to do a whole week on singleness, since that's what most of you are. Um, yeah, I mean, it's important. All right. 
Uh, I, I love that my, my friend Paige Benton, I actually sent this out on the Facebook. I don't know if you guys read, read this little article. It's a great article. She used to be the REF intern at Vanderbilt. Um, but she talks about, you know, things like these books that have this warped theology that imply you aren't ready to date until you've gotten all the sin out of your life. Like dating could never be a tool that God would use to help you grow more like Christ. And she says this about some of the bad theology. She says, um, she, she quotes some of these different ideas that she's heard. Uh, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. To which she responds, as though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. Here's another one. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. As though God grants marriage as a second blessing for the satisfactorily sanctified. The other problem with a lot of these Christian books on dating, and this is a problem with a lot of Christian books on the Christian life, unfortunately, is they present what Dan Allender, the Christian counselor, calls a simpleton approach to the Christian life. Here's the simpleton approach. If you just figure out the rules and you put them into practice, life will work and it will be smooth and, 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 and peaceful. And you'll know that you're right in the center of God's will. I defy you to find that, that phrase anywhere in the Bible, the center of God's will. All right. Um, I, I actually had a guy that called me a few years ago. He wanted me to bring our college group to a talk that he was giving at a church here in town, which I won't describe or tell you about. But um, he, he told me that he'd written a book on dating. I was like, oh, that's interesting. What's it called? He said, Choosing God's Best. And I remember, you know, talking to him on the phone, I said, really? Well, how do you think you know God's best? He says, well, I think you pray and God gives you peace in your heart. And I said, really? I said, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knew that he was supposed to go to the cross, but I don't think he had peace in his heart. And there was just silence on the other end of the phone. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I don't know. What, tell me more about your book. And it was basically a book saying dating is bad, courtship is good. And, but here's the point, and this is why I want to use this. Not that this guy isn't a nice guy, um, and, and he really is mean, means well, and he wants to help people. And he's a guy who's been a Christian counselor for years, who'd seen so many people have such painful experiences in dating that he finally just said, we should just get rid of dating and do courtship, and it'll make things a whole lot better. All right, nice guy, but a simpleton approach to the Christian life. To think that you can just sort of, you know, wave your wand, and we'll all start courting, and everything will be fine. Yeah, what about, you know, when you and your parents disagree about who you should be courting? You know, there's all kinds of pain that can come through that. All right? Here's a couple quotes. Give you some good examples of what I mean by the simpleton approach to the Christian life. This rules approach to the Christian life. Uh, quote from here. Dating creates more problems than it solves. Broken hearts, illegitimate children, abortion, sexually transmitted diseases, and feelings of guilt or shame that can last a lifetime. I literally almost laughed out loud when I read this. I thought, dating does this? I thought sin does this. Right? He goes on, he says, as serious, now here's what's even more amazing. As serious as these consequences are, the solution for them is simple. Biblical courtship instead of dating. I mean, that's it. If you just do what he says, you won't have any of those problems in your life if you just court instead of date. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? Now, this, it's easy sort of to use this to try to get at this issue that's so important. God has not given you a little rule book, and if you just faithfully, steadfastly follow it, your life will work out just like you want. This is one of the reasons, guys, the book of Job is in the Bible. So we would not fall into thinking that if you just follow the rules, everything will be fine. Here's, he goes on in this book to say that while courtship may seem difficult, it's been, quote, practiced for thousands of years. 
dating by comparison, is less than a century old. To which I thought, gosh, so is the computer that he used to write the book. Uh, this, this is a logical fallacy, do you understand? To think that because something is old, that it must be better. Now that's actually a pretty peculiar logical fallacy, because in our culture we tend to think if it's old, it must be worse. Um, but, it, be that as may. He goes on, he says, dating is little more than an experimental blip. As an experience, though, it has been a total failure. With God's help, it's a failure you can avoid from now on. This is like, this is like ad copy, isn't it? If you're one of those singles who's experienced the brokenness of a failed dating or marriage relationship, you will find healing in the courtship process this book describes. Wow, sign me up. No, is he serious? I thought healing came through the gospel, not the rules. Right? And even if courtship was a biblical way of doing it, he would still be wrong in his approach in telling you that if you just follow the rules you'll get this predictable result. This is one of the deepest problems in modern American Christianity, to think that God is like a vending machine, that if you do the right thing, you get this predictable result, just what you want. God is not a commodity. He goes on, courtship offers us a way to meet our needs legitimately without getting out of God's will, without missing God's planned blessing, without causing ourselves pain and grief, without causing hurt to other people, and without causing confusion in our lives. I, you know, I really doubt that courtship can promise all this, but even if it did, just the idea that confusion could never be a tool of God's, it's just incredibly naive and not at all biblical. There's also you know, a real disturbing lack of grace in this book and some others. And listen to this one. Now, this is a quote from Henry Blackaby, and maybe some of you guys really liked experiencing God. I didn't. Um, we can talk over coffee about why that is. This quote is one of the reasons. Um, and, and Don quotes this part, and he really likes this idea, that we can adjust our lives to God. We adjust our lives to God so that he can do through us what he wants to do. God is not our servant to make adjustments to our plans. We are his servants, and we adjust our lives to what he is about to do. Do, do you understand this seems spiritual, it seems good, it seems like who wouldn't want to do this? And he's even denouncing something I think is important to denounce, that God is not our servant. But the idea that we have to adjust our lives so that God can do what he wants to do or bring the planned blessings into our lives that he wants to bring is ridiculously horrible, bad theology to tell people. All I can tell you is that I am really glad I'm really glad that this is not the way God works. Do you remember the Jews wanted to make Jesus king by force? Do you remember? Do you remember that Peter told Jesus he didn't have to die? All I can tell you is it's a good thing that Jesus did not have to wait until they changed and got on board with God's plan before he did what he wanted to do. If God has to wait until we get on board with what he wants to do to do what he wants to do, well, then we're without hope in the world. All right? So the good news is that God works in spite of our unbelief. And that's good news if you want to take the adventure of dating, I think. Um, the, 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 I, I just close it with this. Fear, fear is never a Christian motivation. I understand that a lot of Christians use fear. As a matter of fact, um, Don, in this Choosing God's Best book, he actually says fear is a good motivation. It's probably the only one I can really count on to get you to actually try courtship. But fear is never a Christian motivation. We just read, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. 
The fear of God puts all other fears in their place. Listen, a Christian approach to relationships can never be driven by fear. To the extent that you're driven by fear, your relationships are not Christian. To the the extent that your relationships are driven by fear, they're not Christian. And so the, the issue really is, do you really believe that God is the loving God who holds the future in his hands, who's big enough for what if, because he took all, all that you deserved, all the punishment, right? If he took that, do you think that he would throw you into situations and just sort of, he says that no temptation comes to us except that he knows that we can endure it. Because now that may, need, may mean that you, you may not think you can endure it, but the Lord can. And I know some of you all have been through very difficult things and are still in the midst of difficult things with regard to dating, right? Or with regard to relationships. And it, you may say, it seems easy for you to stand up there and say, you know, that this is, you know, that God can, can work it out and I should just risk again. All I can tell you is that God is a good and a loving God. He's a sovereign God. His hands are loving and sovereign. And, um, and it's true. And, and the demonstration of Jesus on the cross proves, proves that God has never distanced himself from our pain. And he came to do, put to death all the things, the sin that makes a mess of our relationships. God has power to enable us to risk, right? We're going to talk about dating some more next week. A little more practical stuff, maybe even have some time for Q&A. But I, I really wanted to start with this idea about fear and get you to think about this. What role does fear play in your life and in my life? And where do I need to connect the character of God to the fears that drive me so much of the time? Let's pray to God.